0: Today is uh, May 3rd, 2015, and the title of today's message is Apple of His Eye. Um, On Wednesday night, if you were here, you heard about being meek and mighty. Meek like Moses, mighty like Phineas, and a lot of different things. Last Sunday, we talked about having heavy hands, or we don't want to have heavy hands, we want to have heavy hands in the kingdom. Wednesday before that, we learned about spiritually transmitted deposits. Is that what we said? just want to make sure I said that right, because I could say it different ways. Before that, we talked about reproduction. God's been talking to us about Ishad. There's been a lot of things that God has been good to us and speaking to us lately. I think it's important that we always go back and kind of review, that each Sunday is not an island unto itself, but it's connected in our hearts. There are themes that God is trying to speak to us and teach us about. Um, today's title is Apple of His Eye, but there's a message that Pastor Eric did in November called, My Apple is on Fire. If you haven't heard that one or you don't remember what that one is about, I encourage you to go check out our website, uh, check out our messages. I hope you're taking advantage of that. I am. Um, not the ones that I'm preaching. I usually skip those. But, but the other ones especially I'll listen to and just refresh my memory or go back and say, God, if you were speaking it and it was true then, surely it must be true now. Um, and have I done what it was calling me to do if it was six months ago or a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago? So I hope you're taking advantage of that. Um, if you will turn to Zechariah chapter 2. If you're unsure of where Zechariah is, you can start off in Matthew and kind of back your way into it a few books there in the Old Testament. Zechariah, chapter 2, and we're going to start off in verse 1. I'm still hearing pages, so I'm just going to wait a second because we're not in a hurry. Amen. Amen. Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 1. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, hey, where are you going? He answered me, to measure Jerusalem to find out how wide and how long it is. Interesting. This is an interesting little scene, right? Verse 3. Then the angel, who was speaking to me, by the way, in the first verse it says he's a man, and in the third verse it says that he's an angel. Okay. Then the angel who was speaking to me left, and another angel came to meet me and said to him, Run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls. Everybody say, city without walls. Because of the great number of men and livestock in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it. Especially in ancient times, if you want your city to be protected, you had some type of device, like a wall, that was there to protect it. Jerusalem is saying, no, 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 we're not going to need any external sources of communication. We're not going to need to hold on to anything else, because I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. And I will be its glory within. So around it is a wall of fire that the Lord Himself provides, and within it, (laughs) He will be its glory. Verse 6, Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Seems almost redundant, right? Every few, every partial sentence you're hearing declares the Lord. Um, I appreciate verses and, and passages like this because I need sometimes to be reminded. Okay, most of the time I need to be reminded of what God is saying in my life. Come, come, flee from the north, from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. This is God's word to us. Come, O Zion, escape you who live in the daughter of Babylon. For this is what the Lord Almighty says. I like how he talks. He just keeps speaking. After he has honored me and has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. The idea here of apple of your eye. Um, A proud parent and a new child. Beaming with, with joy over a new baby. Uh, a parent who is just swelling up with pride and about a child and their accomplishments, maybe on an athletic field or in academics or in some special things, where you just go, oh, man. Um, I remember, and, and this is still this case to this day, but I remember that first feeling of being a parent and going, I don't think I can love anyone any more than I love this child. I, I don't think it's possible uh, and I, re- I honestly had uh, had a worry in my heart about when I when we started having more kids. I was like, I know this is going to work out, right? I was like, how could I possibly love anything and anyone more than this child? And then you have another, and you go, oh well, God just expands what your heart can contain. And I, I could say that about my son Gabriel, and I could say that about my daughter Olivia, and I could say that about my daughter Anna. I could just go, I, I don't know how to love anyone else more right now, and they're not here today, but. Especially my two older kids. Can I just? I am just so proud of them right now. They're getting. They're actually getting really serious about the Lord. Not just for show, and that's why I'm going to say it's because they're not here, right? Not just for show, but when they're in there, just when we're at the house, we've done. We're finished with schoolwork for the day, and Gabe will be like, "Okay, so Dad, here's the scripture." What? It's just. It's it's formulating. Olivia's asking me, okay, Dad, so when are we going to get to go to Africa? (laughs) And can I stay there after you leave? I'm like, whoa, slow down. Slow it down. Slow down. Yes, we will figure all this out, but you are the apple of my eye, and so we've got to do this the right way. When you look at this in the original language, and as currently is still the custom in that part of the world, uh, really the apple of your eye talks about the pupil. So if we're the apple of his eye, and God's saying, hey, I'm going to take care of you like, <laughs> like you were the pupil in my eye. Can you imagine how protected we should feel? Yeah. Can you think about that? It's not like somebody else is going to walk up and go boink and poke God in the eye. like you have, you know, who, who can come up and walk up to God and poke him in the eye? Well, that's basically what would have to happen for God to not... Care about us to not protect us as if we were literally part of His own being. This is this is just an incredible thought. Turn to um, Exodus. I'm sorry. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. For you are the apple of His eye. Let's start in verse one. Listen, O oh heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O oh earth, the words of my mouth. This is a song that Moses is singing. Let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. All of his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just as he Reminds me of our passage uh, last week or the week before about out of Psalms 19. The word of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, right? It's kind of that same sound that we're hearing here. He is the rock. His works are perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just as he. They have acted corruptly toward him. To their shame, they are no longer his children, but a warped and crooked generation. Is this the way you repay the Lord, Oh, foolish and unwise people? Is He not your Father, your Creator, who has made you and formed you? Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your Father and He will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you. Verse 8, When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when He divided all mankind, He set up boundaries for the people according to the number of the sons of Israel. That's uh going to try not to chase that rabbit trail right there. But read what, just, let's just take a look at that again. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when He divided up all of mankind, He set up boundaries for the people according to the number of the sons of Israel. Wow. Why, why are there certain people groups across the world? I don't know the formula that He used, but the template was based on the sons of Israel. For the entire world and where they are and where they inhabit and what they do was set up God had a plan. He set it up exactly the way that He foresaw. For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob, His allotted inheritance. In a desert land He found him. In a barren and howling waste, He shielded him and cared, <coughs> he shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of His eye. Like an eagle that stirs up the nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wing to catch them and carries them on its pinions. The Lord alone led him. No foreign God was with him. What an encouraging word. As Moses is recapping basically the history of his people, he personifies the nation and uses he as a personal pronoun, but he's really speaking of an entire group of people. He guarded him. God guarded his people as the apple of his eye. Turn to Psalms chapter 17. Psalm chapter 17. Verse. we we're going to start in verse 6. Psalm 17, verse 6. Amen. "I, I call on you, O God, for you will answer me. Give ear to me and hear my prayer. Show the wonder of your great love, you who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who assail me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. Uh, just I love these passages. When you hear David crying out, and going, "Hey God, guard me like I am the apple of your eye." Turn to Psalms chapter 121, since we're in Psalms. Psalms 12one. And verse one, it says this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. Amen. Amen. He will not let your foot slip. Um, I had a work uh, training this week, training slash retreat in the Dallas area. And on Friday, I was helping them load up a a U-Haul from a lot of the equipment that they had brought. So we were helping and trying to you know, make the place neat and tidy as we were leaving. <laughs> and um they were trying to do a good thing, so they had borrowed the U-Haul and taken out all the trash. Well, there was about 70 of us that were there, so there was a lot of trash, so they they took it out, but what they didn't realize is for those of us loading, i.e. me, <laughs> that, that they had left a bunch of sliminess in the back in the back of the U-Haul. So <laughs> it was like a um I'm sure it would have made it on a YouTube fail video from trying to get from the back of the video, I mean from the back of the the U-Haul, slipping and sliding with crazy legs to move the move the truck, move the boxes up to the front of the vehicle. It was like, "Oh my god, what are we doing here?" I lo- I love the fact that God says, "I'm not going to let your feet slip. Where you're walking, it may feel unsteady to you, but I'm going to put a surety in your steps. The steps of the righteous are ordered by God." Amen. If you, if we're, as we're obeying him, he literally tells us where to step. Um, I had this experience. uh, My, the second mission trip that I ever did. So I was about 20 years old. We have so many here in this church that have gone on international missions and, and um, my five-year-old, we took to Mexico at Christmas. So she's already got me beat by, you know, a long time about how old I was before I started going out. But we went on a mission trip to, uh, to Jamaica. Amen, right? Jamaica, yaman. Uh, I feel God calling me to Hawaii and Jamaica. Yeah, of course you do. Uh, they need Jesus too. It's okay. Uh, so we were there in Jamaica, and it was just a team of five of us. Um, my brother, me, Christy, long before she was my wife, and, and, a, and a couple of other people. And we were there, and uh, one of the afternoons we had, uh, we would go into schools. They would turn over the entire public school to us. So we'd go in early in the morning and have... Uh, you know, six or seven hundred, five five to seven hundred kids that would come out, and we'd say, you know, hello, Mr. Principal. Um, how long can we have? How long do you need? Uh, hour and a half. Sure. And so, good morning, Pastor Wade. <laughs> All the kids. They were just in unison. We got to minister the gospel in the school in the morning, and then a whole new group of students and teachers would come in the afternoon. So two schools in the same building and we come back in the afternoon for a whole new group of 600 kids and we get to present the gospel to them. We get to minister to them as well. So on one of the afternoons, um, the timing of it, we're kind of waiting on a school to open up or they made us go in a little early that day. So we had an afternoon, we went to uh, Dunn Rivers Fall in Jamaica. So this beautiful place that was close to where we were. And um, uh, so there, and it's a very touristy place. so Everybody's kind of walking in the falls, of course, are beautiful as beautiful as anywhere on the planet, and they have a little path, and you can start walking up the path. And in this path, you can actually see in the rock. I mean, this is there's no walkway that they made, but in the rock, you can see where people enough people have taken steps before you that you can literally see the stone worn away, like in kind of a foot a foot shape, where you can see. And we're like, well, I guess this is the, this is the path before us, um, and we had. We had some other guys, again, we were in the middle of a tourist group, and and, um, one of the people in our group had a little boy that kind of joined behind us. And he said, look, you just put, you just walk where I walk. Just walk where I walk. And so, thinking that I'll take my foot and put it up, and, and then the other foot would come behind, but it was more like the second that the heel came off of the ground, the kid just put his foot up, and you're like, I haven't even, okay technically I said, put your foot where my foot was. So the kid, you know, you barely pick up the foot and you get a little foot in there and then you kind of take the step. And then with the other foot, you barely get up. And I was like, that is such a beautiful picture of what I should be doing with my walk with Christ. What am I going to wait for? Why am I going to wait? If, if there's any space, whoop, I'm going to be right there, Lord. If you take a step, I'm taking a step. You know, it's kind of fun when you have little kids, they'll, Yeah, you'll dance with your with your kids on your feet, especially if you're a dad. You know, you you just kind of dance around, and they're just they're really not doing any part of the dance. They're just letting daddy take the steps that he needs to take, and they're just with him. Amen. That's the way it should be with us. The steps of the righteous are ordered as he orders where we are going. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your, going, your coming and going both now and forevermore. I hope you're getting a little encouraged this morning. I hope you understand that the God of all creation considers you to be the apple of His eye. And if you read this, He won't let your foot slip. He doesn't sleep. It's not gonna, like He's going to fall asleep on the job right when you need Him. Right? <laughs> Have you, you ever had somebody and you're like, yeah, okay, just call me when you get there and then I'll come and meet you with whatever. And then you call and there's like, like, uh, you're leaving messages. No, I, <laughs> I need you to be there right now. I need this. He, The Lord doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He watches over us. <laughs> this is a beautiful passage. We even do it a lot in our... And our marriage counseling is part of the church. And we look at it even from a different point of view there. But this is an incredible promise that God is making. Um, turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. Y'all still with me here? Yes. Ezekiel chapter 34. <clears throat> so when you get there, say you're there. Ezekiel 34, verse 1. If we're the apple of his eye, if he who watches over us neither sleeps nor slumbers, this passage of Scripture has been... um, (laughs) It's almost been troubling me lately. It's been so in the center of my thoughts. And I just wanted to share it with you. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. This is kind of the antithesis of what we've been talking about. This is the opposite of God watching over us. What He is here is fussing over those who are not watching over the flock. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool, and you slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. "...as surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord." (laughs) Kind of getting wound up here, right? "...this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves." I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. And then in verse 11, this is the part that I wanted to focus on. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. (laughs) You're not getting what you need there. The people I've assigned to help you are not helping you properly. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Because you're the apple of my eye, I myself will come in and I will shepherd you. What an incredible thought that the Lord of all of heaven will come in and shepherd us. Um, one of the things that 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 I that you try to do when you're leading your family or leading an organization is you're trying to make sure um, you give people space to do things, right? Um, you want to assign a task to somebody and, and actually allow them to try to do it. It's very difficult for me. I have to work very hard at that because sometimes if I don't see it going well, I want to just step in and take over. Well, in this case, this is exactly what the Lord has done because they've had a sufficient time. And He said, no, no, no. You are clearly not doing this the right way. I myself will search for the sheep and look after them. Verse 12, as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. What a great promise that the Lord gives us, that he will shepherd us with justice. Um, turn, turn to uh, Malachi, the last book in the New Testament. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Let's start in verse 1. See, I will send My messengers who will prepare the way before Me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to His temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? For He will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord. I, the Lord, do not change. Amen to that. You're not shooting at a moving target here when God has told you something. You're not trying to figure out what his character is. He doesn't change. When you learn when he reveals himself, it is who he is. It is who he will be. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I will print... Prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Just a quick thought on that, and then we'll move on. I just want to encourage you. um, A revelation that I got a while back was that, obviously, as a church, we don't pass a bucket. We just say, here it is. We want you to be moved by the Lord in obedience and whatever it may be, we just put it there. We're not here for your money. And at the same time, we want you to be obedient to God's word. The revelation that I got a while back was this. Um, not only do I want to give a tithe to the Lord, it's my joy to give. My tithe is the 10%. I really look, view that as the minimum that I give to God. Anything above that, I'm going an offering. I want to, I want to, be, a, I want to be an excellent giver in the kingdom. Whatever my resources are, I want to be an excellent giver in the kingdom. But the Lord challenged me in this. Uh, When I bring my tithe, I want to bring not just any 10%. I know that sounds kind of silly, but I want to bring my first 10% to the Lord. The idea of the first fruits merged with this, and I went, oh. Um, And it was because of this question. I had a friend that asked me, he said, hey, when you tithe, which 10% are you supposed to give? And I was like, which 10%? Any 10% oh no, I want to give the Lord my first 10%. To say, even before I take care of everything else, (laughs) I'm going to climb this mountain with my hands wide open. I'm not going to try to keep things and see if it works out and if I have something left, I kind of tip God. I want to give it to Him first to show, Lord, as much as I want to hold on to this, and as small as this offering and tithes may be, I'm going to give it to You Trusting that you'll make something beautiful of what's left over. Amen? Just a little side thought. Verse 13. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? Um, I'm sorry to be using so many examples of kids. That's just fresh in my mind right now. Have you ever said something to a child you walk up to one of your kids and you go, hey, don't do that. And they'll go, What? 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 I didn't. What? (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm watching you do something. I'm telling you to not do it. And they go, what? Perhaps uh, if you've ever worked with students, perhaps you've done that. A boss will come in. Hey, what are you doing? What? What? Me? Who? Huh? Right? I get that kind of picture in my mind of God saying this to his people. You have said harsh things against me. It's the Lord of all creation, they get a little nervous and their knees are knocking. They're like, "I don't, I don't know. What if, what have we said against you?" When I was an assistant principal, I learned to do this. Um, I'd walk in, and um, a, there'd be a, some kid that was turned in for discipline, and I'd walk in and go, "All right, tell me what you did." <laughs> Who me? I. Look, I wouldn't have called you into my office because I don't have anything to do. I've actually got things to do, and I already know. So why don't you just tell me? <laughs> I can't tell you how many times that the kid would just, like, spew out something that I had no idea that they had done. <laughs> Are you talking about when I punched the kid? Well, Mr. I was like, oh, man, I was just going to talk to you about being tardy. But <laughs> now I'm talking to you. <laughs> kind of let them... Just talk, and you find out a lot of. Hey, look! I already know, so why don't you just tell me? (laughs) Sweet, (laughs) tricked you. Well done. But, or I would get. Most of the time, I would get this though. Well, I didn't do anything. I hope that's not our attitude when the Lord convicts us of something. It's it's funny when it's a kid because we've all seen it. It's funny when it's an adult because we've all done it, I mean, truthfully. And it's not funny when the Lord of all creation is trying to fix something in your life and you go, but uh, uh." anything other than immediate repentance, then that means you just need to continue to grow in what God is doing. If you want to defend yourself, then you're doing just like the people of Israel. This is us. This is how we respond. Because he didn't just say, you said things against me. What does he say? He said, you've said harsh things against me. And I'm calling you into account right now on it. Let's keep going. You have said, it is futile to serve God. <clears throat> what did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evil doers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. But now we call the arrogant blessed. <laughs> the question, at uh, the, what they said at the beginning of verse 14, you have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out His requirements? I have to be honest with you and said that I've actually said those things. Maybe not in those words before, though. I've said, Lord, why has it got to be this hard? Like, like, Why do I have to give up a decent job to do what you want me to do? I see other people around me and they don't have to do that. They don't have to. It doesn't seem like they have to sacrifice as much as I do. Is that not the exact thing that's going on here? <laughs> How is it that I'm working hard here, barely got two pennies rub together and ungodly people are... Have you guys seen... I'm not an advocate of TV watching, but I saw a commercial the other day and it was the one of the people being stupid rich. It, it's a commercial for, for a cell phone company, I believe. And they talk about how they can cut the rates, right? Well, they have um, one commercial, and it's this, these very well-dressed young people, and they get off a private plane, and then they get into a little kind of gold-studded scooter, uh, golf cart type thing that drives them about 14 feet. And then they get out, and they get into um, fancy... Sports cars, about hundred thousand dollars a piece, convertibles, and then they drive like another sixteen feet and stop and get out and get into another private plane to take off. They're like, and they're, the whole conversation is they're walking across this hangar and there's attendants, you know, just kind of standing at attention. The whole point of it is like, hey, where are we going? I don't even know where we're going. We're just going, you know. And the whole point is, is did you hear about them cutting the rates on the phone bills? <laughs> Who needs to cut rates, you know? Because they're just stupid rich. That's the point of the commercial. Um, and then there was uh, there's another one in these t- a mom and a daughter are in an auction for some diamond crusted kitty cats or something i mean something ridiculous and the the whole backdrop of this commercial is the mom is bidding and then the daughter is bidding against mom you know 100,000 yep yeah. and they're just talking in a conversation and they'll just keep putting up their hand and then they go oh look my muscle and the daughter's going, "Oh yeah, mine too. 1.2 million, 1.5." <laughs> you know, over they're bidding against themselves. It's like um that's just that's kind of just stupid rich. <laughs> that's ridiculous. What an what an insane thing. It's futile. These people can sit around and bid against themselves and here we are trying to do the work of the Lord and going, "Lord, <laughs> you got to come through." If you're not careful, we actually look at those things and go, it, it it can weigh on our heart. Turn to keep your place there in Malachi. Turn to Psalms, chapter seventy-three. Yeah. Psalm chapter seventy-three. And maybe this is not your heart, but it has definitely been my heart in the past. It's definitely been my heart more than I want to admit. Psalm chapter 73, verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Amen. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. (laughs) They have no struggles. I think one of the things that I like best about the Bible is it's always truthful it's always right on the mark. It doesn't try to hide what human beings really think. This is a passage that shows what human beings really think. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Wow. They clothe themselves with violence. If you've been watching TV at all in the last few days and weeks, you know that people clothe themselves in violence. Their evil... Cons- uh, I'm sorry, I skipped it. From, from their callous heart comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds knows no, no, no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Wow. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Come on now. Have you ever thought that? I have. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. Lord, I'm tired of working hard. I remember thinking this back as a teenager. 17 years old in high school. Going why do I have to keep a standard and nobody around me has to keep the same standard? Oh, maybe because I'm not like them. Maybe because I'm called to be something entirely different than the people around me. It is. All day long I have been plagued and I have punished every, been punished every morning. Now let's get to the good stuff here. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me until, whew, at least there's an until, Right? I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destination. When you put on the lenses of Christ, when you become and understand what God is doing, it is not the reason that we climb the mountain with our hands wide open is because if we don't, we start looking like them. We start envying the people that we should be revolted by. We start whining that we're not like the people that we should be nothing like. We should... Run away from that because we understand the end result of that lifestyle. Any lifestyle that is not committed to Christ. We understand that it, it's, we're going to end up in different places. And then when you go back, let's go back to um, to Malachi. verse four, uh, Chapter 3, verse 14. You have said it is futile to serve God. <laughs> what do we gain by carrying out our requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper and even those who challenge God escape. Verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. Everybody say, talked with each other. other. And the Lord listened and heard. Come on now. So we get talking going on in the other place, right? We get words that are being put forth from insincere hearts. That challenge God, the creator of all things, asking him why he's doing what he's done. (laughs) We've done all this and it's futile. It's vain. Serving God? Whoa, 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 whoa. But then you see an entirely different group of people. And then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. Come on, you need to talk to each other. You need to talk to each other. You need to encourage each other. You need to lift each other up in prayer. You need to talk this out with others that fear the Lord. If you've ever been on a workplace, um, I can find myself, if I'm not careful, not being sounding like those who fear the Lord. I'm a big picture kind of thinker. I see most things that in the world, I attack the problem from 35,000 feet. That's where I originally start off. Lord is, hopefully I've got some other skills that help me to handle the details of the smaller end, but my natural thought process is big picture. Um, if I'm not careful, I can be somewhere and go. Huh, I could tell you what these guys ought to do. Huh, we'd run so much more smoothly if we just did this. Ah, those silly people! All they'd have to do is this, and it'd improve everything, right? If I'm the king of the world, it would be great. If I were the owner of the, you know, if I were the master of the universe, you people would really like it, right? I don't even want to think that way. I want to get around the people who fear the Lord, who talk with each other because the Lord is listening. And he heard, the Lord listened and heard, a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. You have to take notes on things. I have to take notes. <laughs> God actually wrote it down. Um, I remember when I first became a principal, I literally had to find one of those little bitty spiral things, that, uh, spiral notebooks that was just big enough to put in my front pocket. Because when I was a school teacher, people would come up to me or I had a, everything kind of related. If they were talking to me, it related to my world. When I first became a principal, I was like talking about the football field and getting it redone. And then I'm talking to somebody about an education thing. And then there's this kid. Like, I just couldn't get it all straight in my head for a while. So I was like, okay. And I had to write it down. Obviously, God doesn't have a memory problem. But it's interesting that it says that he wrote things down in a scroll of remembrance. He's documenting these things so that it would be for all time. A scroll of remembrance was written in His presence. Wow! Concerning those who feared the Lord and honored His name. Verse 17, They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. When I form it, when I pull all this together, they will be mine. I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and between those who do not. It's one thing to, to realize that we're the apple of God's eye. It's another thing that realizes that that apple of God's eye should cause us to be distinct. There should be a distinction among who we are. Um, the, the job training that I had this week, we actually had a time of worship. It's a, overall, it's a Christian organization. And the, worship, the folks who did worship were wonderful, talented, so gifted, and all I kept thinking of was, there's not enough distinction. There's not enough. There's not enough of the presence of God here. It was, it was very nice. <laughs> so technically well executed, and I was hungering for a deeper sense of God's presence there. I've kind of been spoiled. Been spoiled here. The distinction is absolutely what we're after. Um. Turn to Luke chapter 12. I wanted to catch this. Luke chapter 12. As we get close to wrapping up here. Luke chapter 12 and verse 1. <clears throat> Luke 12. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to His disciples. (laughs) There's a whole huge crowd trampling and He just turns and talks to His guys. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. How's how's what you're saying going? What have you been talking about? Are you ready for what you've been saying in the dark to be heard in the light? Are you ready for what you've whispered in the ear in the inner room to be proclaimed from the rooftop? This is the standard that we have as believers. This is what we are to be held up to. Uh, turn to um, Matthew chapter 12, since we're right there in Luke. Matthew 12. It really is neat how some of these chapters and verses all similar topics coincide when you're studying Scripture. Luke 12, Matthew 12, and it's talking about some similar things. Look at verse, um, let's start in verse 33. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you're constantly praising the Lord, when you're constantly referring to Scriptures in your daily talk, you know why? It's because it's coming out of the overflow of your heart. If you evaluate your speech over the course of a week, on your workplace, in your own thoughts, and Scriptures are far from it, then I would encourage you to begin to plant the Word in your heart in a different way so that it overflows into everything that you say. Not because you're trying to be religious. I didn't say from the overflow of your brain. The Bible says from the overflow of your heart. It should just naturally come forth when you're in discussions with people, whether it's... uh, my son had a fun experience last Friday or Thursday. He went to the dentist. Right, He was in there and they had a, a worker there and my son and my wife were talking to him about our church. And then in the middle of his, it was an initial exam, so they are doing all the x-rays and stuff. In the middle of the exam, he stops, he pulls up one of those little cushiony chairs and he just sits there and he's just listening to them. Just listening to my son and my wife talk about our church, Talk about the Lord, talk about missions, trips, whatever they were talking about. And just kind of, he was kind of listening in and going, why? Because it was an overflow of what was in their hearts. You're not, not even trying to evangelize. It just happens because that's what's in there. The good man brings forth good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings forth evil out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give it account on the day of judgment, for every careless word they've spoken. Eesh. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for your word, and Ish. We will have to give account for every careless word that we've spoken. For For by your words you will be acquitted. And by your words you will be condemned. Hey guys, this is the standard. The word of God is our standard. Let's all make sure that we are reminded of the standard and we're coming up to His standard. We don't excuse that what we did. We don't excuse what we said for any reason. I'm going to say that if I said this, then it probably was the truth of my heart. It was some, something down inside my heart that came to the front, came to the top. So I need to deal with it. If it was wrong, Lord, forgive me. Daniel, forgive me. I've said something to you. Whatever it was, I need to go ahead and get this right so that by my words... I can be acquitted and not judged and condemned. Amen? Go back to Malachi just for a moment. Chapter 3. Verse 17 and 18. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in that day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Um, so you guys know, most of you know, that I was a, a music teacher. I graduated from LSU with a music degree. It was one of the, it was one of the neatest things that I did. Um, so I became a band director. So my job was to teach whatever, 50 or 60 or 70 kids, whatever it was at a time, how to play their instruments and how to play them better. And each one, uh, whether there was a flute player or clarinet player, saxophone or trumpet or whatever, there was a best sound that I was trying to get out of them. How do you explain what a trumpet is supposed to sound like? That's kind of difficult to verbalize. I was a clarinet player, so I could show them, I could demonstrate on some things. But on other instruments, we'd play recordings. We'd I'd bring in people who were professional-level players. And I would do all these things, and I would teach them the techniques that it would take to make sure that they made the right sound, the right tone, that there was a distinctive sound that when they did it, I was literally trying to prepare them if one day they wanted to be a professional musician, that they could do it based on the things that I was teaching. Had a few that went on and became professional musicians. But part of it, and this is, I, I won't get lost in the woods here in this, but... um the reason that a clarinet sounds different than a flute, even if they're playing the same note, yes, it's the construction material. Yeah, it's, uh, There's a lot of factors that go in. But really, it's the, the design of that instrument and how it begins to resonate with the air inside of it. A clarinet will accentuate certain parts of the frequencies and lessen others. And so that that sound, even though I can have 10 different instruments playing the same note, And I could tell you by the sound, I could close my eyes and tell you which instrument was playing. Because they have a distinct sound. The Bible says, unless the trumpet makes a distinct call, how will anyone be motivated to do things? Out of 1 Corinthians 14, it's talking about the Spirit making a call for us. How can we know unless there's a distinction there? Um, Take a look at Exodus chapter 8. Distinction in the sound. Exodus chapter 8. Start in verse 20. Exodus 8:20. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the water and say to him." So this is God preparing for the Exodus. They're in the middle of starting to see these plagues that are set forth. This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people, and into your houses. If one mosquito or fly gets around you. Isn't that the most annoying thing? Especially if you're trying to eat. Oh, The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies and even the ground where they are. So swarms of them. Verse 22. But on that day I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. The miraculous sign, uh, this miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. Um, The point of everything that goes on just a few verses before in Malachi, we see that there are people are wondering why that the world gets to do what they get to do. Is it futile for us to be a part of the Lord? Perhaps that everything that goes on in our lives is to create a distinction between us and them. Amen. Between those who are, who are righteous and those who are unrighteous. Between those who have been called and have yielded to this calling and those who have turned their back on a calling. There is supposed to be a distinction that's there. Turn to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. And we're going to start in verse 12. It says this. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. What a beautiful statement. Verse 15, Then Moses said to Him, If Your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. That should be all of our cries as believers. Lord, if You don't go with Me, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to go anywhere where His Spirit is not leading. I don't want to do anything unless You're going to go before Me because it it is all about His presence. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Far too many times we're trying to lose the distinctiveness that God is trying to put in us. How are they going to know that we actually have God's presence with us? Hey, your church, man, what a great church. A little different. People are a little weird. Yeah. We want to be distinct. We're not trying to do anything other than saying, if God is really with us, then you should see parts of God in us, reflected in us. You should hear a distinction in what is said, in what is preached, in what is lived, that is different than the average, that is different than the nominal, that is different than maybe where you've been. Why? Because we're saying, we should show a distinction in everything that we do. We should. That is our standard. The Bible says we should be distinct. Are we always as distinct as we should? Well, maybe not. But you know what? I'm going to let Kim continue to do that in me. Turn to Acts chapter 15. This will be the last passage, I believe. Acts chapter 15. <clears throat> Acts 15, and let's start in 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So this is after, obviously, the day of Pentecost. This is a council at Jerusalem. They're trying to figure these things out. How do we do this? So some were saying that the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Verse 6. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. I like it. They had a meeting. I don't know. That's a good question. Let's figure it out. Let me get together with godly people and let's inquire of the Lord and find this out. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that He accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as He did to us. He made no distinction between them them between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became quiet as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, uh, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed His concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for Himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear My name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages." (laughs) Verse 19, is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So they're there. So here's what I think that we we miss on sometimes. We are supposed to be so incredibly distinct from the world. We're supposed to be altogether different. We should be like aliens in a foreign land because of our distinction between them. But it's amazing here that when you're in the body... (laughs) We're supposed to all look like Him. In Christ, there's no distinction between male or female or free or or slave or or Jew or Gentile or whatever it may be. (laughs) That's the unity that we should be going for is to say, I'm going to function as a part of this body and there becomes no distinction. We're going to allow God to do what He needs to do in us so that there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. Wherever you came from and wherever you're going, all those things just can kind of blur. It doesn't matter about your background in Christ because now, if you're in Christ, there's no distinction. It's funny that some people try to fight for distinction in the kingdom and are indistinct from the world. That's completely opposite. We're supposed to be completely distinct from the world and unified in what we're doing in the kingdom. Um, Pastor Mann, if you'll come on up. So as we close today... We are the apple of His eye. We are absolutely the apple of His eye. And that apple, because we belong to Him, because we are at the very center of what He sees, then there should be a distinction in who we are. What kind of distinction do you need? Are you distinct in your walk with the Lord? Is His hand upon you in a way that is visible, that is easy to see? Have you really said along with some of what we sing? The problem with what we sing sometimes is, is it really is, um, it's very indicting. I'm actually putting myself on the hook for what I'm saying, right? <laughs> I'm saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to climb the mountain. I'm going to have nothing to hold on to. Uh, most of the time, that's as much of a prayer as it is a declaration in my life. Or this is really what my heart is. I have to have a distinction going on inside of me so that other people can see this. If you will, go ahead and stand with me.